Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Harris Cherokee Resort. Find us online at caesars.com slash Harris Cherokee. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I said on yesterday's show that I am kind of a contrarian by nature, meaning I have a tendency to go with the flow. I should say go against the flow of what most people are kind of thinking and doing. And that's not one of those things that I do intentionally to try to be different, to try to get a bunch of attention. I don't think that's the case. I mean, this is true in my normal life. You know, this is true just even when I'm away from doing this show. I just have a tendency to see the world differently than other people or maybe better said i have a tendency to seek out uh a, a viewpoint on the world that's just different than other people i just have a tendency to to believe that if everybody's going one way then there is a very good chance the most likely truth is going back in the other direction different than what the masses are thinking that's just the way my brain works sometimes that may be for the good sometimes it may be for the bad but as i said i am a contrarian by nature and here's how that kind of shows up when it comes to georgia football when a huge number of Georgia fans are thinking one thing. I have a tendency to just kind of naturally gravitate towards the thing that I don't think a huge number of people are thinking about. It's not because I want to be disrespectful to UGA fans. If anything, I want to respect the opinion of the people who watch or listen to this show. But I have a natural tendency to think, oh, well, too many people seem to be moving in this direction. Let's pay very close attention to the thing that's not getting looked at enough. And I'll give you a specific example of how that shows up. Right now, there's a lot of energy amongst Georgia fans about a handful of running backs in the Georgia roster. Guys like Kenny McIntosh, who spoke to the media yesterday. You can check out the full video of that on the Dog Nation YouTube page. Find out what McIntosh had to say about himself and his teammates. Kendall Milton is another one uh, who's been incredibly popular amongst Georgia fans, even going back to the time when he was junior in high school, before he even became a UGA commit. This is a guy that Georgia fans really wanted. And listen, I have no reason to argue against Milton nor McIntosh or any of these guys having a big time breakout season I got I got no reason to do that whatsoever I think both Milton and McIntosh could have fine years I'd say the same thing about Deshaun Edwards if he gets his chance or James Cook depending on how he's used I, I could say all of that but when I find a large number of Georgia fans who are gravitating towards Milton or gravitating towards McIntosh I have a natural curiosity to kind of move to the person that I don't think is getting talked about quite as much. And in this particular case, I think it's Georgia running back Zamir White. Now, it is interesting to me that if White is maybe being under-discussed amongst Georgia fans right now, their fixation seems to be more towards guys like Milton and McIntosh and possibly with good reason. In the national corridors, there is still uh, a lot more attention seemingly being paid to Zamir White. For instance, we talked about the ESPN list yesterday of top 100 players in college football, and maybe to some, somewhat surprisingly, Georgia running back Zamir White showed up on that list. If memory serves, I believe he was number 90. I don't have the full list in front of me, but in the write-up for ESPN about White, there was a sentence in that piece that really stuck out to me, and I've thought about this uh, a good number of times, even though that the you know, inclusion of why in a list like top 100 players in the sport is complimentary. The way in which ESPN wrote this up, I think, you know, maybe give you a little bit of pause. Can we show this on the screen for a moment? What ESPN said about Zamir White. So ranking him in the top 100 players in the sport, they say we might not ever know how good White might have been. So, let, me, let me start over again because I didn't read this correctly. We might never know how good White might have been since he tore the ACL in both his knees before ever getting a carry for the Bulldogs. Obviously, going back to the ACL injury he uh, suffered at the beginning of the 2018 season. 
on the heels of an ACL injury in the other knee that you know took him off the field for his senior year in high school. And ESPN says, hey, he's the top 100 player in the sport, but we may never know how good he could have been. And there's a part of me that wants to say, well, maybe that's true. Maybe we'll always be left wondering what could have been. Or maybe a year from now, we're talking about what actually became of White as a senior. Obviously, Georgia fans don't have to reach too far back into the recent past to point to a guy like Nick Chubb, who I think in 2016, there were some folks who were saying, well, gosh, maybe Nick Chubb has lost a step. Maybe we'll be wondering how good he could have been if not for that awful injury on that terrible turf in Knoxville, Tennessee, back in 2015. But the way that Chubb played in 2017 changed everyone's opinion and all of that. Now he's gone on to be one of the best running backs in the NFL there as well. That I wouldn't be too quick to assume that, hey, Zamir White's just a good running back and we may never know how good he could have been. Maybe that's the case, or maybe he provides an emphatic answer to that question with the way he plays uh, this year. And when this came up on the show yesterday, one of the things that I said about this was that if you go back and look at the stats for White a year ago, his yards per carry, about 5.4 yards per carry, that it was not all that different than Alabama running back Najee Harris, who became a first-round pick and was a part of a very explosive Alabama offense. Uh, Najee was just 5.8 a year ago. Uh, White, we said, or I should say Najee, we said, had way more touchdowns, but that's also playing in an offense that scored way more touchdowns. And I got a couple of responses back to that, and a couple of people brought up something that was really fair and that is what I want to spend the next couple of minutes doing responding to a point that I got yesterday on something that I said that I think is absolutely worthy of inclusion in this discussion what some people pushed back on in the comparison I made yesterday to Najee Harris and Samir White that while their total yards per carry number pretty similar the one thing that Najee really excelled in a year ago that maybe uh, you know Zamir didn't have as much of a chance to do was when it comes to being a target catching the football. Najee Harris caught 43 balls a year ago for 425 yards, also secured four touchdowns through the air. And that's the kind of thing that no Georgia running back really did to great uh, success last year. Not Zamir, not even James Cook, who was, I think, yeah, what, 16 catches, but, but, but nothing to the degree of what Najee Harris did for Alabama a year ago. And I think that's a very fair point about this discussion. It's one of the reasons why I like getting feedback, whether it's on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or the people who put comments in the comment section, that Najee clearly was a more effective weapon in the passing game for Alabama a year ago than any Georgia running back Zamir White included. That actually leads me to say this, that if you want Georgia then with its running backs, whether it's Zamir or whether it's one of the guys kind of waiting in the wings behind Zamir, if you want this Georgia running game to take itself to the next level of this upcoming season, upgrading the way in which these Georgia running backs are used in the passing game I think is a really important part of that. Even though some of the discussion this offseason has been, how do you get more explosive runs? That's something that Georgia needs to do more of. But how do you get more out of this program in the passing game with its wide receivers? That might be an important thing there as well. And this is the point that leads me to say that if you're looking to follow the path on all of this of how Georgia gets there, paying attention to Najee Harris, what he did for Alabama a year ago, might not be the best overall way to do that. The thing that you might ought to be paying the most attention to is the team that Georgia gets ready to play on September the 4th. Because something pretty interesting happened with Clemson over the course of the last couple of years. And if it happened for Clemson, the chances of it happening for UGA, I would say, are at least possible. Let's talk about Travis Etienne for a moment. This, the great Clemson running back who became a first-round pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars after last season. Now, you know what Etienne has done on the ground during his career. 
but last year in 2020 became also a very effective part of the Clemson passing game there as well. He caught 48 balls for 588 yards, 12.3 yards per uh, reception. Literally, Etienne became a dynamic weapon in the Clemson passing game. So much so, and if you follow the NFL, you're kind of aware of this, so much so that prior to an injury, Travis Etienne was actually being discussed with his NFL team as the Jacksonville Jaguars of maybe being a wide receiver and not a running back. Now, push aside for the moment the fact that that's actually kind of a dumb thing for Urban Meyer to do. The fact that it was even a conversation worth having shows you the way in which Etienne became a real weapon. And there was nothing from Etienne's first two years on campus at Clemson that would have necessarily predicted that, at least not his very you know first year of being the most effective player that he was in 2018. In 2018, when Clemson won the national championship, Travis Etienne had 1,658 yards rushing. This is literally probably the most productive running back in ACC history. That's the that's the you know the level of achievement. Etienne Etienne had at Clemson nearly 1,700 rushing yards in 2018. But that same year, he only had 12 catches. Uh, I think James Cook had more than that for Georgia last year. Uh, Etienne only had uh, 12 catches in a full 15-game season. Uh, He was not a big weapon in the passing game. But uh, from 2018 to 2019, all of a sudden, he moves up to 37 catches. And then in 2020, he moved up to 48. There was a guy for Clemson, Travis Etienne, who was a very effective running back. And over the course of his time at Clemson, he also became a much more effective receiver. Now, hopefully the point that I'm making here is obvious, but let me hammer it home that much more. I do think it's true, those who brought this up, that the Georgia running backs need to be more effective as weapons in the passing game to fully fill out their profile as players. Zamir White included a name I mentioned a moment ago and a guy you just saw on your screen if you're watching on video. And I also think that if you look at the way that Travis Etienne grew as a pass catcher during his time at Clemson, if that was possible for Etienne, it's also possible for those guys at Georgia. Now, you may be a little skeptical of this, because to be honest with you, there's a pocket of Georgia fans who are just a little bit frustrated with the maybe the lack of development for some of the playmakers within the Georgia offense, in some cases running backs included. Let's go back to G-Day for a moment. G-Day was a day that we saw Georgia running backs heavily involved in passing game. Weren't there like four Georgia running backs who had at least four catches on G-Day? There were guys all over the football field running backs that day catching the football. And JT Daniels, who's kind of known for being a little bit of a gunslinger, a guy who likes to throw it deep down the field at G-Day, he was throwing underneath those running backs quite a bit. Now, a spring game is the same thing as Charlotte September 4th in a hostile environment with a split crowd, Georgia fans, Clemson fans. But quite possibly, maybe G-Day was a little bit of a precursor for this. In fact, let me remind you on this. This is JT Daniels talking about the degree to which he enjoys throwing to Georgia running backs. And G-Day, maybe a little bit of proof of that. Here's JT. I love throwing the ball deep, and you see it a lot. But uh, especially when you have James, uh, James, you know, Zamir, Kendall, all the guys we have. Uh, I think ch- checkdowns in general are the most underrated, underappreciated aspect of the offense. Uh, you know, at a bare minimum, it's it's easy to throw. At a bare minimum, it's three yards, and that's if the first guy tackles them. Uh, it, it's very, very rare that the first guy tackles any of our running backs. So, you, you know, if a defense wants to bring vertical pressure and drop back and play soft or they're playing good coverage, uh, you know, you, if I have to check down 10 times in a row, I'll check it down 10 times in a row. There's there's no, uh, you know, there's there's no problem with that for me. First of all, couldn't you just listen to JT Daniels talk about football all day long and never get bored by doing it? I mean, I just love the way in which 
he very effortlessly describes his feelings about the game and his thoughts about what might be going on. Uh, that's a great example from G-Day, and I think he's 100% right there as well. That this is a Georgia offense right now that's a little bit banged up the tight end position and a little unsure of itself at wide receiver, although there are playmakers who could emerge. The most trusted, proven position group on this roster, and you expect this to be true for a program that calls itself RBU, the most trusted, proven position group on this offensive roster right now is the running back position. And in a game like Clemson, where there are going to be some points scored, you're going to have to match what Clemson does offensively in order to keep up in the game, maybe even matching what they've done schematically is also the right thing to do there as well. Over the course of Travis Etienne's time at Clemson, he became a much more effective weapon in the passing game, so much so that as a first-round pick of the Jacksonville Jaguars, that's how the Jaguars intended to use him, and, and now, for now at least anyway, he's a little bit banged up. The Georgia running backs could do the same thing. There's no obvious reason they can't. Being effective weapons in the passing game, as well as contributing through the running game too, that's one of the things that could make Georgia look like the recent playoff teams, including the team that seems to be there every year, Clemson, could also be a recipe for victory on September 4th as well. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 10 a.m. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, right there at the top of the page on dognation.com. What a fun place that is to do the show each and every day. We're on the Dog Nation app. We're kind of beta testing that a little bit. I'll, I'll never quite understand how apps work, but I'm glad that ours does work. And it's really cool that our show is there now, just given the fact that so many of you visit the Dog Nation app so frequently anyway, and I think you should do that. Uh, keep checking back there for news all day long, but find our show when you do, which is a really cool thing to be able to do there as well. I'm also going to say this really briefly, that coming up on Friday... I am going to make a big announcement about a cool thing related to our show that we've never done before. But I think it's going to be a great addition to our daily repertoire around here. I'll do that with you on Friday. So make sure you're kind of with me around this time on Friday. We're going to do something really fun as a way of really taking these new platforms for a test drive. So that's going to be really, really cool coming up on Friday. Can't wait to do that with you then. For now, though, let me remind you that, as I said before, we're brought to you by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. Of course, many of you are starting to think about Georgia Clemson, point spread for that game, Alabama-Miami, big one there. A huge slate of like Big Ten conference games coming up. All kinds of fun stuff as we head towards the first weekend of the season. And there's a place you can go to actually get some action down on the games. I'm talking about Harris Cherokee Casino Resort right there in the wonderful mountains of Western North Carolina. Of course, casino gaming, uh, real live table games, a big thing there too. Uh, unbelievable gourmet dining and the world-class shopping and a luxurious wonderfully relaxing spa and that's all great but so many of you are also excited about the brand new addition to the property there the sports book getting your sports wagering action down it's not just college football it's all the big events that are going on right now you can actually make those wagers in person uh and in style by the way right there at the harris cherokee casino resort properties whether it's the original harris cherokee casino resort or harris cherokee valley river you can check it out today just a two-hour drive from where i'm sitting right here in our luxurious atlanta studio so uh check out caesars.com slash Harris-Cherokee for more information on that. That's Caesars.com slash Harris-Cherokee for more information on Harris-Cherokee Casino Resort. All right, I've got uh, our buddy Mike Griffith coming up in just a couple of moments. We'll get more into Mike, everything that's kind of going on around uh, the uh, dogs. We'll get a Georgia Farm Bureau practice report with him, kind of where things stand ahead of the game against Clemson and those final touches that can be put on a game plan that if you're a Georgia fan, you would say hopefully goes out and allows the dogs to beat the Tigers 
Uh, we will do that with Mike Griffith coming up in just a moment. Before that, though, I, I do want to go around the doghouse here today. And yesterday was an interesting day for news in that it replicated something that I think we've seen before, which is unfortunately, for now anyway, Georgia just not quite being projected to have enough top-end, high-end talent to truly go out and win the national championship. In other words, let's just be honest here for a moment. If the coaches that put the preseason on SEC team are right, and if the draft analysts who put out the early mock drafts for the NFL draft next April are right, if those people who are making those projections right now are right, then Georgia is not going to win the national championship. Now, it's Georgia's job over the course of the next 15 games, and if you're a UGA fan, you hope it's a 15-game schedule. It's Georgia's job over the course of the next 15 games to prove preseason voters, NFL draft analysts, it's Georgia's job to, to prove them wrong. Latest example of that comes yesterday with the preseason All-SEC list that comes out. Georgia had two players on the first team, Jordan Davis, obviously the defensive tackle, and Jake Kamara, the punter. By comparison, Alabama had seven on the preseason All-SEC first team. Now, I know what some Georgia fans are going to say back to this, and I'm tempted to think this myself. Well, that just goes to show you the media and the coaches and everybody who does these preseason lists that don't matter anyway, uh, that just goes to show you they're sleeping on UGA. Maybe that's the case, but the recent past doesn't necessarily indicate that's true. Georgia's had about three players on the postseason All-SEC list, I'm talking about the first team anyway, for like the last three years. There was one year in the last three that Georgia had four. The other two years, the last three years, Georgia's had three players on the first team All-SEC list. That doesn't fare very favorably, compare very favorably to last year's SEC champion Alabama uh LSU the year before that Alabama the year before that so I would suggest here that we can't just chalk all this up to well that just goes to show you the the, the media and the folks who fill this stuff out whatever you know SIDs filling this out for the coaches they're all just sleeping on UGA that's too easy of a cop-out I would say for the job that's actually facing Georgia and I'm not saying all this to be overly negative because I do think there's a chance that Georgia confounds some of these expectations for individual player performances here this season. But as we wait to see that unfold, I have to tell you, I'm as much a Georgia partisan as anybody could be. Y'all know I live and die with this team and root for it very hard. And even with that being said, I actually don't have a problem with whether it be coaches in this case or in some cases going to be media in some cases going to be a huge collection of media people voting together in some cases just going to be one guy who has a big following filling out his opinion I don't have a problem with what seems to be the subliminal message towards Georgia right now of we're going to ask you to prove it we're going to make you an underdog against Clemson and ask you to go out there and prove that we're going to make you an underdog to Alabama in terms of winning the SEC and make you go out there and prove it I mean you know, the thing that truly hangs over George's head is not the 1980. It's been 41 years since, or however many years it's been now since George won a national championship. That's distant memory. You know, the players that play on this team weren't even born for most of the years that made up that drought. We as fans, some of us have lived through it, but the team itself, that's not something they think about very much. The thing that really hangs over Georgia like a cloud a bit is not the drought since 1980 it's the last three years where Georgia started the preseason ranking way up here and finished 
in that postseason ranking just a little bit below that. The last three years, 2018, 2019, 2020, since Georgia made the playoff in college, uh, uh, college football playoff in 2017, the three years since then, Georgia finished the season ranked lower than it started based on the preseason polls. That's the thing that Georgia kind of has hanging over it right now. That's the thing that somewhat, you know, uh, subliminally, uh, some of the people who fill out this stuff are saying, you know, can you go out there and can you can you prove us wrong on that? Can you know, can you prove that you're better than that? So that's kind of what Georgia has facing it for this upcoming season. Now, the good news is while there are only two names on the first team all SEC list, JT Daniels, Amir White, and George Pickens are second team guys. Pickens obviously a little bit banged up. Jamari Salyer is as well. Jermaine Burton's a third team guy. Trayvon Walker's a third team guy. Nicobe Dean's a third team guy. There are plenty, plenty of players that can work their way up to the first team by the end of the season. But let's not sugarcoat this. If Georgia's going to achieve as a team its end-of-season goals, big-time, star-turn performances from some of the individual names that I just mentioned are a prerequisite for making that happen. And that is Around the Doghouse here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. We'll get Mike Griffith's thoughts on this coming up. We will also, later on before we're done, I believe that... There was a five-star recruit yesterday that trolled Florida a little bit. Now, I don't know as of yet if there's enough to say this is good news for UGA, but anytime that Florida fans are angry, uh, I'm always a little bit happy, and many of you feel the same way. So I will give you a reason to feel that way, and we'll figure out what it all means coming up. So that's later on. But for now, let's get serious and take care of some important business. The final days of practice before Georgia moves into a true game week against Clemson set for September 4th and what it's going to take to beat the Tigers there in Charlotte. Let's do all of that with a Georgia Farm Bureau practice report with our buddy Mike Griffith right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Lots to talk to Mike Griffith about here today. It's all brought to you by our friends at the Georgia Farm Bureau as the uh, dogs get ready for Clemson. And, you know, Mike, I've said this a couple of times now that, you know, this is the thing that fans crave, right? The kind of game that, you know, has some mystery, some intrigue to it. There have been too many games in recent years for Georgia because Georgia's been so good where, hey, maybe the outcome was predetermined and it was simply um, – you know, how how pretty is Georgia going to look? How bad are they going to beat their opponent? That's kind of a setup for failure a little bit in terms of the standard by which you're judged. But with a team like Clemson, who's been in the playoff now seemingly, what, every year since 2015, uh, you know, the, the, the mystery and the intrigue is who pulls it out, who wins it, who makes the big play to get it done. And, you know, I just get the sense that Georgia fans are approaching a fever pitch about their excitement for the game, and I'm sure you're seeing much the same way from the UGA fans you get a chance to speak to each and every day. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, it's exciting. You know, there's a lot of unknowns. Uh, you know, Clemson, major reload mode after losing a number one overall pick in the draft at quarterback and first-round running back. And, you know, their offensive line it had some issues. They've got questions at center as well. Uh, they've got a star in Justin Ross returning. To what extent, we don't know. Um, you know, in Georgia, with a major overload in the secondary, you know, you're seven guys down from a year ago, five guys in the NFL, and and one of your impact, you know, really two of the three impact signees you got are, aren't going to play. Uh, you know, Tyke Smith, and, and I don't think we think uh, Eric Gilbert plays, even if, if he would, by some chance, he would be very effective. So, yeah, th- this is tough. Both of these teams have a lot of questions. They both uh, have had great success. Of course, Kirby Smart, 4-0 against top 10 teams in non-conference games, 10-6 overall. 
Clemson with 10 straight regular season wins over SEC teams, 2-2 two and two against Alabama in the playoffs, and separated by only 71 miles, the rivalry everybody really wants and cares about, uh, unlike uh, the other ACC team. <laughs> but, but that's another story for another day. But, yes, there is a fever pitch, and, yes, very exciting pregame buildup. And listen, I think the point you bring up about Clemson is is a good one, and I mentioned this to Connor Riley yesterday. I think it's actually one of the more under-discussed aspects of this game that you know, Clemson is replacing a lot. Forget the quarterback thing, because we've seen Clemson transition quarterbacks before, right? Deshaun Watson passed the baton to Trevor Lawrence, and I don't know that the passing of the baton to DJ Uyunglele is all that much different from that, but there is no more Travis Etienne, and I talked about Etienne a moment ago. That was a huge weapon, both running the football and throwing the, and as a receiver for Clemson the last couple of years. And while I certainly hope Justin Ross returns healthy because I like watching him play, my expectation is that he's not fully 100% healthy for the game against Clemson, which puts the spotlight on other receivers, guys who were mostly unproven based on a year ago. There's obviously going to be a, an assumption made by many on the part of Clemson because you know Clemson's been so good offensively now for a number of years. But, man, if you're questioning, you know, new faces and playmaking roles for Georgia, I mean, it does seem fair that you would do the same thing for Clemson a bit. Oh, no question. And, you know, I, I, you know, DJ is a, you know, he's 6'5 and 240, and uh, he beat Boston College and lost to Notre Dame. Uh, it's hard to know what you're going to get. Uh, they have, you know, transitioned to quarterbacks before. I think the big thing, though, when I think about the Clemson quarterback situation is they don't really have a – a number two they feel good about. It kind of reminds me of the 2019 Georgia team. And, you know, Georgia had to be oh so careful with Jake Fromm because there really wasn't anyone proven yeah. uh, or anyone reliable behind him. So I, I think that affects your game plan, you know, especially when it's the opening game. I mean, the last thing that either team really wants to do is take a chance with their quarterback. So that's why I don't think it's going to be the high-scoring shootout that maybe it looked like on paper. Uh, you know, and until recently, we look a little closer at these teams and they show a lot of warts. So uh, I do think there's a lot of factors in this game. I think uh, some favor Georgia, some favor Clemson. Uh, and I think that's what makes it so much fun, as you said, Brandon. I want to talk to you about something I brought up a moment ago, whether it be, you know, Zamir, Kendall Milton, who I'm, you know, Kenny McIntosh, a lot of Georgia fans are very interested in, or obviously James Cook, who seems more already equipped to be able to do this you think Georgia throws to running backs more this year it's something that Clemson has gotten better at over the course of the last couple of seasons the offense has improved because of it how much of a weapon in the passing game do you believe Georgia running backs will be this season well a lot of that has to do with who they play but yeah I I think even more so now that you know you've got questions about the receiving core with you know I think we thought at one point Blaylock would be back and now that's kind of a question mark you know the last time we Heard from Kirby, he was running straight line. Maybe he slipped in there and he's running patterns that we don't know about, but we know that the tight ends uh, with Darnell Washington out, uh, John Fitzpatrick questionable. That that was a big element to have that dual threat tight end. You know, you still have Brock Bowers in kind of that H-back role. Um, you know, uh, the questions about Jermaine Burton's ability to stay healthy right now seems to be fine. Uh, Kiaris Jackson coming off the offseason knee surgery. Uh, last we saw in a brace, how effective will he be? Um, you know, Arian Smith is a guy who's been banged up this fall, ran track, fell a little behind in the playbook, trying to catch up. Kirby said he's a little banged up, but he did scrimmage. So when you've got those question marks at receiver, ironically enough, I think you feel good at the X with the Donnie Mitchell and 
Marcus Rose, Jack Saint, but when you talk about unproven, uh, I think we would certainly say they're unproven relative to other receivers that are returning in other places in the country. When you talk about the questions at receiver, and now the questions that cropped up at the dual uh, tight end role, I, I think you have to throw more to your backs. I think maybe you even maybe you even line James Cook up in the slot. Don't even call him a back. Maybe you have him in the slot and and uh, you know Kendall Milton or Kenny or Zamir in the backfield. So to your point, I think the backs will have to be used more, and I, and I think they have some really capable pass catchers, especially uh, James and Kenny have both proven really effective in that role. And you know. You brought this up last week briefly, too, and you kind of touched on it right there, too. Speaking as a fan, someone who wants to see Georgia win this game, if I'm sitting in Charlotte two Saturdays from now and Georgia is in kind of a, you know, a two-back look, right, whether it's, you know, Cook starting off in the backfield and just, you know, uh, going in motion to become a receiver or if he, you know, starts lined up in that slot, if, if Cook and another running back are on the field at the same time, Mike, I got to tell you, that's a formation that would get me – pretty excited and i'm guessing it'd get a lot of georgia fans pretty excited as well yeah i mean you know you're you know it could be bowers in the backfield as an h-back motioning out but the the whole concept of a single back and the idea of having james cook on the field more often uh you know really i, I know he's technically a tailback and i'm sure he'll get some carries but you know he's so much better so much more dangerous and he seems to be more comfortable playing on the perimeter out in space you know, if you're going between the tackles, I mean, give me Milton or, or Zamir. You know, I, I, you've got the luxury of being able to substitute. Now, at the same token, you don't want to tip your cap to what the play is going to be by who's out there, but uh, I agree with you. I think if we're talking about putting your best players on the field, and Kirby, Kirby does this a lot, so I don't know why it wouldn't apply to Munkin and his skill position players. I mean, uh, why wouldn't you want to get your best skill guys out there? And if you're four or five best skill guys, include two running backs, so, so be it. The good news is Munkin is a guy incredibly creative. I mean, this guy is really good. Uh, the, the, the devil is in the detail. And, you know, getting the five best guys out there is one thing, but then making sure everybody can execute, that's the second thing. And that's where all this extra time and commitment and focus really comes into play. I mean, JT, like I said, he can fly the jet. He can make all the calls. He can make all the adjustments. But he's got to have the running backs, receivers, and tight ends that can stay up to speed with him. You know, it's it's not easy, uh, you know, making all these checks at the line. Everybody has to listen and be able to quickly, um, you know, figure out what their role is going to be when they change plays. I mean, J, JT might have the computer chip brain, but how quickly does everybody else adjust uh, to the audibles and the changing of the play calls? That was once a, an issue for Peyton Manning back in the day is he would change plays so quickly and the rest of the team couldn't keep up with him. And so ultimately they, they simplified. By the way, he never won a national title or beat Florida. And when uh, Tennessee simplified the next year with Team Martin, they went undefeated. So there's a lot to be said for being able to simplify and execute, but there's also a lot to be said over being complex, provided you can execute. I want to ask you in a moment to close out our conversation about something that I believe kind of hangs over this program as the number one issue standing between it a national championship, and I want your thoughts on that in, in a moment. Before that, let me remind folks that you're uh, being a part of our Georgia Farm Bureau practice report right now with uh, Mike Griffith. Ear to the ground on everything going on in Athens. Getting a chance to talk to some Georgia players there yesterday. Uh, always nice to get Mike's insight in all of this, and also nice to see the ways in which Georgia Farm Bureau is supporting all of our communities throughout the state of Georgia, whether it be through the agricultural programs they do. Obviously, I think those of us who are lifelong Georgians are proud of the fact that 
the state of Georgia puts so much food on so many plates across the country and across the world. This is a great, great state with a great agricultural heritage. And Georgia Farm Bureau supports all that with through its agriculture programs, but also through allowing folks to have more f- affordable home, auto and life insurance. That's something that Georgia Farm Bureau can do for you there as well. In fact, you can take advantage of that today. Georgia Farm Bureau is always the home team. You can find out for yourself and you can check them out online. It's gfbinsurance.com. That's gfbinsurance.com. And that'll get you in touch with Georgia Farm Bureau. So Mike, yesterday, and I think you may know where I'm going with this because I've talked about it certainly plenty, but yesterday was a reminder of something that just comes up a lot. You know, Bama's got like seven guys in the first team preseason all SEC. Georgia's got two. That glass ceiling, if you will, of like three first round pick type guys or or first round or first team all SEC type guys. Georgia's just having a hard, or has had a hard time over the last couple of years breaking through that barrier. Whereas the Alabamas, the LSUs are doing a half dozen of those guys. I think that college football has become a stars game, household name type game. The edge rusher, the quarterback, the playmaking wide receiver, the running back, whomever else. And despite the fact that Georgia is a very deep roster filled with the former elite recruits, cultivating those stars hasn't quite happened to the same degree for UGA as it has for Alabama and LSU. And if Georgia's going to have better end-of-season results, that's got to change over the course of the next 15 games starting on September 4th. What would you say in response to that? I'd say a lot of it's circumstance. You know, um, George Pickens and Dominic Blaylock are two guys that at this stage of their career uh, had they stay, you know, this is, we're playing the what if game, but you're asking what's happened, and I'm telling you, yeah. these are guys that going into their third year that would be superstars, and one if not both would be first team All SEC. Uh, Zamir White had the carries and, and didn't have the results. Nobody looks at him as a first or second team SEC back, so uh, he hasn't. Well, quite in fairness, he was a second team SEC all, preseason All SEC back. Uh, well, you're asking me why he's not an All American or a first team, and because he's not. So. If that's DeAndre Swift, he is, right? So he hasn't turned out to be the number one running back in the country like we thought when he was recruited. And defensively, uh, I think Tyke Smith did make, you know, maybe if he wasn't injured, I saw where he was ranked in the top 50. I mean, uh, he was an All-American that you got, an impact player, but an injury to him. And, and let's not forget, B.A., you've had a lot of guys go pro early. Um, you know, when you look back at Alabama's first-round draft picks last year, you'll see a lot of seniors, right? Mm-hmm. I guarantee you that if Eric Stokes came back for his senior year, he'd be a first-team All-American. So would, uh, and maybe, uh, Tyson Campbell would be a first-team All-SEC pick if he came back for his senior year. Uh, you know, Monty Rice, if he wanted, could have come back for another year as well. Think about the juniors that have gone pro early on that offensive line. Andrew Thomas, um, you know, Solomon Kinley, uh, Isaiah Wilson. These are guys who would have been first-team All-Americans, but Georgia has a lot of underclassmen that go pro early. And I know you and I have also talked about how good a job Alabama does of convincing those guys uh, to come back for their senior year and improve their draft stock from maybe late first round to early first round or second round to first round. You know, I I think about a Solomon Kinley and uh, how well he's panned for the Dolphins as a fourth round pick. If he comes back, maybe he's a first round pick, right? Uh, I think about, um, you know, guys, we all wonder what happens if Jake Fromm comes back for his senior year instead of Stetson Bennett. Stetson could beat Alabama for a half in, in Tuscaloosa last year. What if that's Jake at the controls? Does Georgia win that game? So I think it's a combination of, of guys that have gone pro early uh, and a combination of guys that have gotten injured. And maybe there is something to be said about guys that, 
you know, maybe never really lived up to their star rating, and, and maybe the rating was wrong. Or maybe there's so much competition at Georgia that you can be a five-star uh, and get beat out by the four-star behind you. I think we've seen that happen on the offensive line. So at the end of the day, though, um, despite not having the All-Americans or the number of first-team All-SEC players, we still see Georgia with five straight years in the preseason top five, which tells you about the perception of the program, that it's a great program. It is an annual championship contender with four straight top ten finishes. But I think you do bring up a good point, and I do think it's curious, just like you, that uh, some of these other teams, uh, you know, LSU, Texas A&M, you know, somehow uh, get players rated higher. And part of me wonders this too, Brandon, who are the media people that they're talking to? Who's voting on this? And then I wonder to myself, um, you know, has Kirby Smart hurt himself because he can be difficult with the media? Um, Do some coaches get a break because the media likes them more? I hate to think that, um, but I do wonder about it. It's an interesting point, and we'll finish with this. I guess what, though, that leads me to believe it's not some sort of bias against Georgia, because frankly I'm not sure where the bias would even come from, other than you suggest they just don't like Kirby. Maybe that's the case. But this is actually fairly consistent across very different metrics, right? I mean, you can say some Georgia guys left early, but the fact of the matter is there are teams in college football who are currently producing more first-round picks than Georgia is. And I agree with you, if George Pickens is healthy right now, you're having a very nice conversation about his outlook for the upcoming season. But that's also kind of one guy. And, I mean, I don't think you would dispute that Georgia needs more star players to win a national championship, right? Oh, I wouldn't dispute that at all. And, and I would say specifically on the Kirby issue, I'm not talking about his local media I'm talking about his national media because he's not one to kowtow like some other coaches do. And I I actually think that's one of the – I like the way that Kirby is fair to everyone across the board, but I do think there are some national figures uh, that that aren't real Kirby smart fans. You know, I think there's a lot of love for – I still think there's a lot of love for Florida out there. I think there's a bias toward Florida. I think there's a bias toward Alabama. It's not so much that there's a bias against Georgia. It's just I think there's some fanboy national media – that, that follow Florida uh, and Alabama with their nose closely behind their behind. Well, Mike, I always appreciate your insight. It's always certainly interesting for sure. And I know you've got some good stuff coming at dognation.com in the days to come. And gosh, before you know it, we're right there in the Queen City getting ready for dogs and uh, tigers there as well. So uh, appreciate you being here today. I appreciate it, Brandon. Have a great day. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Fruit. Let me just say one more thing about, you know, the Georgia talent and what has a chance to emerge this year. Uh, Mike's a veteran. I, I think he would understand this. Sometimes you hear this phrase, and I always really like it, when some sort of military operation doesn't go the way that it was intended, when the strategy doesn't quite work out the way that it's supposed to. The phrase that you hear a lot, and I'm a big believer in this from a philosophical standpoint, it's the when it, when it comes to where do you point the finger of blame, it suits, not boots. In other words... If things don't go militarily the way they're supposed to, it ain't the soldiers' fault. It's the guys who wear the, you know, the scrambled eggs on their uniform. It's the, it's it's the officers. It's the it's the civilian in, in, in control of all of this. It's 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 the suits who take the blame, not the boots. I just think philosophically speaking, it seems like a that's almost always true, if not universally always true. And in terms of the more logical place to put the blame, that's where it goes. It goes to the suits, not the boots. 
And in college football, I think the same kind of thing is true. If, if, if And we can bring that music down just a touch, if you don't mind. Um, I, I think when you're looking at, well, what happens when a five-star doesn't quite pan out? I mean, you can blame the player if you want to, although I think that's somewhat illogical. You can blame the recruiting industry for ranking him as a five-star, although I think that's passing the buck. I think in college football, the most sensible place to put blame when something doesn't quite go well or go the way that it was predicted to go, once again, I put the blame on the suits, not the boots. The coaches who are making the seven- and eight-figure salaries, those are the guys who I think have the responsibility to get the most out of the talent. Uh, I don't think it's the... You know, in almost any situation where a guy doesn't fully emerge on the basis of his full potential, the reason why the player himself is actually going to be the last one I'm going to blame for that because we'll never know how that player could have thrived in a system more better designed to take advantage of his skill set. So when we think about Georgia for this upcoming season, I'm not going to say to player X who may have been a five-star you better go out there and show people why you were a five-star. Nor am I going to say to player why, hey, you better go out there and, and show folks why, you know, rivals in 24-7, these recruiting outlets rated, rated you how they did. I'm going to say to the Georgia coaching staff, you fought this recruiting battle. You made all kinds of promises. You talked about, you know, draft success. And, all, you know, you made all kinds of big talk. Now, pay off on that by giving these players a system that allows them a chance to thrive. And there's a very good chance it's exactly what Georgia does. But as Georgia looks to maximize this top-end talent, people say all the time, what happens to all these five stars once they get to Georgia? The answer I always give is, well, you should point out that a lot of those five stars are still at Georgia on offense and on defense right now. And it's a time, it's an opportunity for the suits, a.k.a. the Georgia coaching staff, to get the most out of their boots, the players who are under their control and under their leadership. And if that works out the way that it's supposed to, then UGA could very well be on its way to a national championship at the end of this season. Uh, let me quickly give a shout-out to my friends at the Finish Long Drink. Obviously, a lot of you enjoying those final days of summer before you head towards the season. And a lot of you also thinking about what's going to be a part of your big tailgate getting ready for September 4th. Spoiler alert, I can tell you this, that my friends at the Finnish Long Drink are going to be a big part of that Dog Nation invasion on the bus over to Charlotte once we get there for the big Dog Nation invasion tailgate. Uh, the Finnish Long Drink, such a perfect pairing to go along with all of this. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail right out of the can. It means it may look like a beer, but it's not. For those of you that love the great taste of a mixed drink, I'm talking about like the citrus flavor of grapefruit with the strong gin liquor kick, you get all of that with the finish long drink some of you also like the long drink strong the long drink zero the long drink cranberry all kinds of varieties for you when it comes to the finish long drink starts in helsinki been in the united states for a couple of years and now it's right here in georgia pretty much anywhere you're looking for it we get you know message all the time from people who have found the finished long drink and they're enjoying it so check out the longdrink.com for more on that you can find out where you can pick yourself up some the longdrink.com for a lot more on that all right, so I have I've talked a good bit about the preseason All SEC team. Now let me move off of that topic for a moment, and let me talk about the Alliance just for a moment because I think we're kind of left to wonder. You know, there was the Alliance announcement yesterday, and to be honest with you, I try to pay attention to the news as closely as I can. I still don't 100 percent understand all of this, uh, but you did see yesterday the various commissioners from the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big Ten. And like to me, the most interesting thing was is they had like their Zoom background coordinated. You saw all three of the conference logos mixed together. So this is at least serious enough that they've created a step and repeat logo that includes all three of the uh, conferences there together. So I guess you can do with that what you will. Here is the one thing I'm going to say, and I'll try not to be you know too abstract in bringing this up. 
I still have a sneaking suspicion this is going to end up not being a great thing for the SEC, even if I can't draw a straight line to how that becomes the case. And most of like the pro SEC media, and certainly I would include myself in the kind of the pro SEC media, but most of the pro SEC media seems to think this is all a big joke. And this just goes to show you how you know, uh, futile the attempt to thwart the SEC is, the fact that all these leagues are kind of gaining up together, ganging up together to try to fight against the SEC. Like, here's the one thing that I'll say in, in response to this. Think about baseball for a moment. I'll try to make this a very quick analogy. So if you've got like a right-handed starting pitcher on the mound, you can tell he's getting a little tired, and you know that you've got a good left-handed pinch hitter, well, obviously you think about making that, you know, pinch hit situation right there and take advantage of that. But that's only like very basic, sort of a simp version of strategy because you have to think now a move ahead that, well, if you go with the left-handed, you know, pinch hitter, then that's also likely to, you know, force the relief pitcher to come in, you know, from the bullpen. And all of a sudden now you got to decide, do you still like your pinch hitter as a left-hander against a left-handed reliever? And do you want to then take him out and put another pinch hitter in? And you got to think two and three moves ahead. And I think the same thing is true with this SEC alliance thing there as well. Because a lot of people look at it and say, well, of course you're going to add Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC if you get a chance to because it's more money. But here's the thing I think you've got to be very, paying very close attention to. And we talked about this several months ago, and I would say that I get a lot of predictions wrong, but this is a prediction I believe I got right. That at a certain point, the discussion around college football was going to be less about money and more about power. And I kind of think that if you're the SEC, the notion that you add Oklahoma and you add Texas and you bring in gobs of new money, well, how much money is worth the trade-off for reduced power? Because the one thing that Big Ten, Pac-12, uh, ACC, the Big 12 to the extent that it's even still a thing anymore, they were not officially a part of the alliance. The one thing I you know, I think of the SEC you got to wonder is, so we added all this extra money, but it has forced the hand of the other leagues to align against us. And one way or another, this is going to be an attempt to reduce the SEC's power. They were never going to just sit by and watch Greg Sankey take over college football. They were going to do something to try to stop that. And maybe they'll succeed. Maybe they won't. But they're going to make it harder on the SEC. So, I mean, think about your own life for a moment. What would you rather have more of right now? More money, more power. If you've got power, you can use that to get more money. But there are plenty of people with money who can't seem to buy their way into power. Power is more valuable than money. And so the SEC has added more money through this acquisition of Oklahoma and Texas. But is it going to end up in a world where it's reduced SEC power with every single vote that takes place? A bunch of other leagues conniving against the SEC just to be, you know, um, just to thwart whatever the SEC might want? I don't know. That's probably something I'd pay close attention to. Now, maybe it doesn't end up working out that way, but but it's something I'd have my eye on right now. We'll make that your SEC through. All right. So here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort, I want to turn my attention to UGA recruiting for a moment. And we're going to get to the UGA part of this in a moment, but let me start with something else. Do you remember several months ago when five-star defense tackle Walter Nolan, fresh off a visit to Gainesville, announced that he was shutting down his recruitment? And a lot of Florida fans were like, oh boy, look at that. Mullen finally got himself a big trophy on the wall with recruiting. He finally got himself a five-star defensive lineman. Uh, Walter Nolan's coming to Florida. And what we said on the show at the time was, 
that there was no way Nolan may or may not be shutting down his recruitment, but he's not shutting down his recruitment to go to Florida. I specifically said in explicit terms that Dan Mullen was not a good enough recruiter to get a guy like Walter Nolan to shut down his recruitment on the base of a visit. That's just not the kind of waters that Dan Mullen swims in when it comes to those kinds of things. As it turns out, I was 100% right about that. Uh, and as a way of maybe talking about the funny twists and turns a story like this takes. So yesterday, there was a Instagram post, once again, from five-star defensive lineman Walter Nolan that some are saying was an attempt to troll Florida. Can we show the, the Walter Nolan troll here for a moment and see if we can kind of tell this story? This is Nolan on Instagram. And the image that he shows is one of those builder brand type things all the schools send out, Florida sending out one to Walter Nolan here. And he's all decked out in Florida gear. And the big headline of the graphic says, build your brand. And the caption down there says, get me to 9K for my top three. Now, what he means is, get me to 9,000 Instagram followers and I'll drop my top three finalists. And man, Florida fans were, at least the best that I could tell from the responses to the, to the Instagram post, were all over this, uh, showing off the Jordan brand, showing off the blue and orange, showing off the Gator stuff. Walter Nolan's big into Florida, and he's teasing for his top three, and Gators fans were super excited about that. Well, guess what? This is where the sad trombone music would come in, womp, 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 because when Walter Nolan put out his top three, which he did make good, I don't know if he ever had to 9,000 followers or not, but he did put out his top three and florida was nowhere to be found like they are for most recruitments for five-star prospects texas a&m was there tennessee was there admittedly right in the middle and standing taller than the other two and georgia was there as well over on i guess that would be uh the the, the right side left side whatever else i don't know uh but but georgia's there on that side there too so what, what does that mean for georgia we'll get to the georgia part of this in a moment what does it mean for florida I think those who are saying this was a troll against the Gators kind of feels true to me. And I got to tell you, I don't hate Walter Nolan for it. To me, it's pretty entertaining. If you get those Florida fans excited only not to put the Gators in your top three, it shows he's at least got good taste when it comes to that, not having Florida's top three and giving Florida the troll. Also, be careful if you're Tennessee. Can we see that top three one more time here? Uh, be careful if you're Tennessee. If Nolan has shown uh, propensity for trolling, given the fact that he currently lives in Knoxville and goes to a, a high school there in the Knoxville area, do you really want to be in the, like, we just got through watching the Olympics, the podium? Do you want to be the first place podium person here, standing that much taller over the A&M and the Georgia one, knowing that, you know, Florida just got trolled out of the, uh, out of the picture uh, by Walter Nolan? Maybe that makes you feel a little nervous about being right up there at the very top on that, but uh, interesting nonetheless. Now, Effort at full disclosure, total honesty here. You know, I don't know how things are going with Nolan in UGA right now. Certainly some of the things that, you know, Jeff Sintel has maybe hinted at, insinuated at, may make you feel, you know, not so great about this. In fact, I want to go back in time here for a moment. I want to let you hear kind of where this stood with Nolan and Georgia going back to like July. And once Jeff tells you about that from, you know, now way more than a month ago, We'll talk about all the ways in which that has seemingly changed since then. This is Jeff in July talking about what a big pull Walter Nolan would be for UGA. Here's Jeff. It's really a Travis Shower, Walter Nolan type thing there for the defensive line room at Georgia. The way this year started out with, you know, thoughts of getting a lot of, you know, multiple five stars across the front. If Georgia simply ends up with a top five prospect in the nation's number one defensive tackle in Walter Nolan, 
I hope folks will realize that's still a pretty good haul coming into the boat. That's a pretty good trophy to go up on the prize for uh, Trey Scott and his recruiting. And it took a lot of consternation and a lot of work to get there. If Georgia eventually gets there with a recruiting process for Nolan that's still going to involve Alabama, it's going to involve Florida, I think Georgia's right in the midst of that too. I think it's going to be lost on folks that, you know, Nolan, should he wind up at Georgia, would be higher rated than Alexander, higher rated than Williams, higher rated than Shaw, higher rated than everybody, rated than just about everybody in the class. But I think folks were maybe even even expecting a little more for the defensive line room in 2022. So that gives you an idea. Once again, that was Jeff from July. It shows you how much things have changed with Nolan over the course of that time, right? Like the teams like Alabama and Florida, not a part of the top three, although at one point in time it seemed like they might be. Uh, you mentioned Travis Shaw in that discussion. We now know Shaw, as expected, committed to UNC. So not only do the twists and turns with a guy like Shaw, have they really you know moved around a bunch the twists and turns for Georgia have kind of moved around a bunch there as well Jeff has told us now two weeks in a row being on our show that maybe Georgia back more in play with a guy like Barry Alexander than you maybe at one point time thought they would be we'll follow Jeff's information on that pretty closely in the weeks to come but that's a five-star that Georgia now kind of gets back in with that maybe was less involved with five six weeks ago I think hanging your hat on Nolan's going to always be kind of a hard thing to do because I do think he's somewhat unpredictable. Uh, and, you know, listen, I think that it's just a tough recruitment, as Jeff said, because he is such a highly rated prospect. But the other good thing is, and if Jeff was sitting here today, I'm sure he would say this, that, that the other thing that you've seen since that discussion with Jeff right there is slightly different kinds of players. But, you know, there's also seemingly an improvement in the status for a guy like Georgia with Mikel Williams or a status with Georgia and a guy like Kristen Miller and, and names like that. Maybe seemingly more on the radar now than they were at one point in time. At least that's maybe the sense you get putting your ear down to the ground. So as the Nolan thing remains somewhat unpredictable, all kinds of twists and turns, uh, Georgia also more involved with players of a similar caliber there as well. I would be very, very hesitant to want to try to fill out a mock class right now of who I think lands in it from Georgia. And, you know, your guess is as good as mine, what Nolan eventually ends up doing, even with the dogs in his top three. But, you know, once the kind of weirdness of summer wears off, you are left to think that, oh, Georgia's actually still in pretty good position with a, a few pretty elite names, including position of need there, and that defensive line, pass rushing, you know, front seven type type group that there is still some fun to come there on that. But for now, the news of the day, Walter Nolan drops his top three, dogs included, along with the Aggies and the Vols. All right, so we're going to wrap things up here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. And I want to do something kind of special for our golden shoe today. Sometimes it's the Gator Hater Roll Call. Sometimes it's something funny. Other days, it's something somewhat more serious. I want to give it to Brian Whitehead today because I got a good tweet from Brian. He says, can you give a shout out to uh, on your show today to my buddy Troy and the guys with the Georgia Forestry Commission fighting all over those U.S. Uh, wildfires? And yeah, Brian, I can absolutely do that. And listen, there is nothing that makes me prouder to know, whether it be active duty military personnel, police officers, firemen. Uh, guys fighting wildfires with the Forestry Commission, whatever else. People who are doing like the hard work that just makes our society function the way that it's supposed to. The fact they tune in and are part of what we do here. And for those of you that are friends with those guys, all that. So the least I can do is to give a golden shoe. Thanks so much for help keeping us safe and protecting our wildlife in the process when it comes to all of that. Golden shoe indeed. How about a Gator Hater countdown 66 days from now? We'll see you tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort.
And on the podcast, time now for our R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. You can, of course, find R.S. Andrews online at rsandrews.com. And they'll get your air conditioning unit tuned back up to factory for specs. Y'all, that matters. It's hot. It's blazing hot. And it's going to be hot for a while. Like some of the hottest time we have is in that month of September, as many of you have sweated through tailgates know. So don't sweat your way through you know, a night's sleep or there in your house. Get tuned back up to factory for specs. You'll be really glad you did on all of that. So um, we'll take some comments both on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily and our comment section at DogNation.com. And your interaction with me on our podcast, Cool Down, is always a lot of fun. By the way, I teased this. we got a new thing um, uh, coming up on the show on Monday. I'm going to tell you more about that on Friday's show. But that's going to be a fun announcement. We'll get to that there in a moment. Uh, Georgia on Tap, who's a good Twitter follow was mentioning something that we talked about on the show today that my belief that when it comes to like military stuff the phrase you hear a lot of times is if a strategic objective isn't accomplished the blame goes to the suits not the boots it's the officers in charge who failed or the 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 you know the strategic commanders who failed not the actual soldiers on the ground and I think that football kind of works the same way that it's the coaches who get paid millions it's the players who believe the promises when they choose to come to a school so when things don't quite work out for that player i'm gonna put the blame on the coach not the player and i just think across the board that's the that's the opinion that makes the most sense and what george on tap wrote this is a a very good comparison to this he says the perfect example of that is alvin kamara think about kamara he was at tennessee the vols program held his talent hostage no other program had a chance to use that and what does Kamara do the moment he gets to the NFL? He becomes one of the best players in the NFL working for a guy like Sean Payton. Smart offensive mind, Payton clever about how he uses good talent, and someone like Kamara thrives. Was not thriving for the Tennessee program, led by uh, Butch Jones, not doing that. And that is the perfect example of, you know, people have ragged on Kamara and said, oh, this guy's a bust. You know, this guy doesn't want it. This guy's, you know, this, that, and the other character concerns, whatever other thing people drag up. And then lo and behold, you get him to the NFL, he can't be tackled. And it's not like he suddenly magically got became a better player once he got to the highest level of the game. He always had that, and it just took a smart coach to unlock it. What a lot of Georgia fans want is for this to be the kind of program that unlocks that talent while these guys are still in college. I believe it very well may be the case. But if you're looking for why Georgia hasn't broken through and won the national championship yet, guys emerging as what I'll call like star type players, right? The kind of names that that college football fans around the country know, you got to have half dozen of those if you want to win the national championship. Duke Duke writes in to say on the comment section dognation.com. I've heard a lot of UG comparisons to Texas A&M and now to Clemson for the upcoming season. Which th- team do you think bears a closer resemblance to UGA this year? Well, one of the things that makes Georgia and Texas A&M somewhat similar is is that much the same way that Georgia hasn't really quite broken through with the elite, high-powered offense, Texas A&M under Jimbo Fisher, even though he's a very sharp offensive mind, they haven't really broken through that way yet either. You know, And what I can't quite tell about Texas A&M is whether or not they even really want to. In other words, you get the impression that Georgia, at least the sense that I get, they do want to score 40 points a game, whether they're arch nemesis like Alabama has and the way that their east rival florida did a year ago and other top college football playoff contenders have in recent years they just haven't gotten there yet but nobody nobody really ever hangs texas a&m out to dry you know on the on the same basis when 
statistically speaking, they certainly could. Now, maybe A&M's short tenure on the national stage is the reason why that hasn't happened yet. Let's say that A&M kind of has a similar A&M season to a year ago this year. They finish in the top five and they and they don't make the college football playoff, what they are or not doing offensively, maybe that gets more of attention at that time. They did name Haynes King as their starting quarterback today, and uh, that's expected news, but but we'll see you know, what that means for the productivity of the Aggies on offense. But the one striking similarity between Georgia and Texas A&M is, is that A&M has also been a team that's a little bit more defined by defense under Jimbo Fisher, a little bit more defined by line of scrimmage play, and a little bit more defined by running the football. And as of now, it's hard to tell if a&m really aspires to be much different than that as far as the comparison between george and clemson one of the things i talked about on today's show was the way in which clemson evolved in throwing to running backs travis etienne in particular that's an evolution i'd like to see georgia you know go through as well the one huge difference though is is you know overall outlook for these two programs is pretty similar but the one difference between george and clemson has been the fact that they have had the high level quarterback play you know trevor lawrence one of the best ever come out of the state of georgia obviously became a number one overall pick for clemson you know deshaun watson another georgian unfortunately you know i mean watson to me is one of the best of my lifetime i mean the list of quarterbacks in college that i think are better than deshaun watson it's not very long and that's obviously a huge difference and you know think about clemson for a moment you know like clemson it, it recruits at a very highly you know elite level now but for a long time of the Davos when he run, you know, this is like a I mean, I don't I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but this is like a top ten class, but it's not like number ones and twos, you know, for Clemson over the course of the past five, six years. Not not with regularity. And you kind of wonder how much of those like talent issues would be exposed. Because they have a for instance, right now Clemson's dealing with some offensive line problems. And a lot of those offensive line problems were predicated if i'm using that word correctly they were predated by uh in fact they haven't recruited like great along the offensive line they went head-to-head for george over jamari Sider. they lost you can think of some head-to-head battles in the offensive line they've lost and all of a sudden now they're not quite sure what that offensive line looks like for september 4th i'm sure it'll be good but you know what i'm saying that's not a proven group for them right now and recruiting misses seem to be connected to all of that and over the course of time you know Georgia will offer 100 and something players. Clemson will offer 50. You know, uh, you know, Clemson kind of settles on its class and expects those guys not to take visits other places. Uh, Georgia will, you know, not only will they let you visit anywhere you want to, you know, they'll take visitors from any, you know, it's a much more aggressive, much more catch-as-catch-can style for Georgia recruiting. Um, and for Clemson, the more conservative recruiting style has really worked. But I'm left to wonder – well, if they didn't have the you know college football Hall of Fame level quarterback, all time great level quarterback like a Deshaun or Trevor Lawrence, would the roster deficiencies created by just a lack of aggression in recruiting would it show up more frequently? And I'm not quite so sure the answer of that. But that's like the one way in which George and Clemson I think are not similar is that Clemson has had the great quarterback. No disrespect to Jake Fromm, who's obviously beloved by Georgia fans. Fromm is not Deshaun Watson, and he's not you know Trevor Lawrence, and that's not a knock on him to say that. There's just a level of achievement higher than what Fromm obtained while he was at UGA, and Clemson on back-to-back quarterbacks has kind of had that, and now we'll find out if DJ Uwe Unglele is also ready to follow that same path. So really good comments. Appreciate you being here for R.S. Andrews Podcast Cooldown. Find R.S. Andrews online for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. If your water heater goes out, in many cases, R.S. Andrews can replace it for you. 
the same day. That's a good thing. So find them online, rsanders.com. Back here tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris, Cherokee Casino Resort. We'll look forward to talking to you then, everybody.